0: Today's episode is brought to you by Maestro Performance Products. Maestro Products are 100% organic hemp-based CBD balms and oils manufactured in the U.S., made to help relieve the joint and muscle strain associated with the physical demands of musical practice and performance. Maestro Performance Products, recovery for active musicians. Hey, Jason. Yes. What do you call a fish with no eyes? I don't know. Fish.
1: We start all the shows. I've been listening. I've been doing my homework. So, uh,
2: Dave, what what, what does a bad drummer and bike shorts have in common? Ooh, I don't know what. No pocket. (laughs) (laughs) Musician Mindset is a conversation series that extracts the performance and preparation thought process from world-class musicians Leaving you with wisdom and exercises to level up your musical journey.
1: <laughs> wow, hello everybody. I've been waiting all morning. For <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> our guest today is Michael Ward. Michael is an accomplished recording artist, guitarist, and professional musician who has toured the world with groups such as Ben Harper and the Ascendant Criminals, The Wallflowers, and was co-founder of the group School of Fish. Michael's guitar work can be heard on records by John Hyatt and the Grammy Award winning single One Headlight, The Wallflowers, Michael. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Good to see you again, man. Good to see you. Um, So I want to open up about. um, I want to open up with uh, um, your biking. Mm -hmm. So um, (laughs) yeah, you biked over here from where?
2: Well, Mount Washington, Glassell Park area. So it's 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 a bit of a trek, but um, I used to do insane bike rides, like. I'd be in Europe and go, "Oh, it's only 150 miles to the next gig and I've got a day off. I'm going." And like, you know, that, that kind of
1: just you bike to the next gig.
2: Yeah. Oh, when wow. possible. Oh, wow. No, nah, not all the time, but um so I'm trying to tap back into that that whole uh I, I need to get my chops back together.
1: Basically. So I w- uh the thought I had about about the biking over why I bring it up is I want to know if you've found any similarities between uh, your bike riding and music.
2: See Hundred percent. And a friend of mine and I are actually uh, creating a podcast that's only about classic cycling and classic music. And um, I think there's a lot of similarities. My my, my buddy says it's about rhythm. Same thing that the the cadence when you're pedaling and the rhythm of music and cycling. I think the correlation is. Antisocial behavior and uh, <laughs> isolationism, <laughs> that kind of like, you know, um, because you do to be, I think we'll, we'll just launch into it, to, to become a good musician or a good cyclist, you need to spend thousands of hours alone in a room or on the bike, you know, just like totally focused, dedicated, loner kind of mindset in a way. I mean, you'll do bike rides with a hundred people, And you'll play gigs in front of people you know what I mean there there is a social aspect but I think there's also just this weird like a loner kind of mindset you have to be totally focused and dedicated to get to get it done you know to become good at it so uh, I know so many musicians that ride bikes and cyclists that are totally into music and you know so mm-hmm. I do think there's a big correlation,
1: yeah. Do you think there's like a similar flow state between the two? Like when you're Totally, really in the absolutely. Those?
2: Now, oddly, I've done one bike ride ever where I put in earbuds and tried to listen to music, and it drove me crazy. I couldn't do it because I need to hear the traffic. I need to hear what's going on around me. And if the tempo of the song you're listening to, it, it, it just throws me off. So I, I've, done, I've tried that once. I know so many people that listen to music when they ride. I can't do it. To me, it's one or the other. You know, like, especially for safety reasons, you just need to hear that guy on the motorcycle out there. You know, you need to know what's going on. So even though I think they are very similar, I don't ever listen to music when I ride.
1: Mm. Yeah. Okay, so that aside, let's uh, go back to the beginning of your journey. Mm -hmm. And and what was the song or the moment that sparked passion about playing music? I
2: grew up in Minnesota and, um, (coughs) excuse me, my grandparents lived down in Illinois. So every summer we would make a trip down to Illinois and my mom's younger sister. So my aunt was massively into kiss when I was like eight or nine years old. She had this giant kiss poster on the wall and, and I would just stare at it and go, I mean, it it was like huge, like huge. And then she started playing me these kiss records. So we went home and, uh, The first record I ever bought was Destroyer by Kiss. So Ace Frehley was my dude. First single I ever bought was Thin Lizzy. Boys are back in town, and then, um, but the first record or cassette was Kiss Destroyer. And um, I mean, obviously, you're a kid and you see those visuals of Kiss, and it's just
1: like that's the whole
2: deal, you know. Um, So that that's that was my launching pad, you know. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: But what was the what was the moment that that transition from being a fan of music to a guitarist
2: um i simply i got so into kiss that i was just like that's what i want to do they they were like my beatles ed sullivan moment that everyone talks Mm -hmm. about and as goofy as it is because it's kiss that was just for some reason the thing that that struck a nerve in me you know that just rang my bell and i I was like i
1: want to do that Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and and how long after that was it uh until you started performing it doesn't have to be professionally but just First time on stage. I
2: started playing when I was 10, and I think we played a gig at the local park when I was like 14, my little band, you know? Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, we were awful, and I was terrible. And I still have a picture, though, of my first gig, and I'm playing an Ovation Preacher. I don't know if you know what that guitar Mm -hmm. is, but it's a double cutaway Ovation Electric. And uh, so it was about four years, and, and I was... To be honest, I don't think I got my stuff together until I moved out here to, to attend the guitar school, GIT, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's when I just started practicing like crazy and, and got... I think within one year at that school, I I just went miles beyond where I was because I needed something to kick me in the butt and to be around really good musicians and teachers and players to, to really up my game. So it was when I moved out here when I was like 19, that's when... Uh, I think I really kind of kicked it into
1: gear. So that that leads me to my next question, mm-hmm. um, which is, what was the moment or the situation where you first thought you could have a career in music? Like, why did you decide to move from Minnesota to Los Angeles to pursue being a guitar player and a musician?
2: It's a goofy story, but um, there's this thing when you're in high school called the National Honor Society, right? And, oh, yeah, and I was yeah. in that because I was a good student. And we did a field trip toward the end of my senior year, and we were on this bus, like a school bus going to some place, and everybody was talking about which colleges they were applying for. And the conversation was going row by row back to me in the back of the bus, and I was like, oh, God, I I, I don't have an answer for this question. And so everyone, oh, and what about you, Mike? You know, they looked at me, and I said... Oh, I think I'm ch- maybe going to check out this uh, music school in Hollywood I, just because I was kind of panicked and needed something to say. And so I went home later that day and looked it up. Me and my dad went through some guitar player magazine and found the ad and found the number and called or wrote a whatever. And I, I, I it was strictly p- panic. Like, I I don't know. I'm not going to college. I don't know what to do. So that's that's why mm-hmm. I moved out here. Got really serious and formed a band, which ended up being School of Fish. And then, uh I don't know, it's just that youthful ignorance and determination, like, I'm going to do this. Like, you know, no one's going to tell me I can't do this. And to this day, I still can't really do anything else. So I'm stuck with
0: it. <laughs> so It just kind of rolled right into yeah, yeah. you becoming successful
2: yeah. at it. Well, yeah, more or less. So yeah.
0: did your experience at MI lead to... Your first gigs, or were you? How did that come to be?
2: Yeah, I was. I went to the school, and then my instructor, my favorite dude at the school, was this guy named Paul Hanson. As far as they, I mean, there were great jazz guys and everything. He was a rock dude, and um, he once I graduated, he left. Remember who was that guitar player for Duran Duran? Uh, uh, Andy Taylor, is that his name? Well, so Paul was got a gig to go on tour with Andy Taylor. And he just offhanded said to me one day, hey, Mike, would you want to take over some of my classes when, I, when I'm gone? And I was like, yeah, but I was like 20 years old. I was a kid, terrified, and I started teaching some of these classes that Paul was teaching. And uh, that was another, like, just upped my game. I Suddenly I had to walk into a room full of 40-year-old guys that had come over from Europe to go to the school, and suddenly I'm their teacher for the rock class or whatever. And, so it was like terrifying, but um just all those things where you know, we I'm sure we've all you just throw yourself in into the deep end. You just go, Yeah, great, I'll do it. And only later do you realize I'm not qualified to be <laughs> like it's really scary, but it it makes you better, you know. So that that was that's when I was teaching at the school, I met this guy, Josh, who became my my songwriting partner and he was the singer for School of Fish. And We met at a club. I saw him play a solo set at a club gig, and I just approached him and said, Hey, man, I think you're great. Would you want to do some music together? And same thing, just that brash, youthful exuberance and determination. You just go for it, you know? Mm -hmm. And uh, I probably wouldn't have the guts to do something like that today, just to approach somebody cold and say, Hey, man, let's start a band. But that's what we did, and that's how School of Fish started. So.
1: So the um, the kind of jumping into the teaching situation and then the band thing it mm-hmm. brings up a, a point that's been floating around our episodes uh, lately, called "Yes and." This mm-hmm. came up a couple episodes ago, mm-hmm. of uh, just we're all in, let's figure it out, and and then we're gonna add to it and see what happens from here. That uh, that fire that you had in the beginning to to, to go with that, did that carry you th- through the rest of your career? Have you always had that uh, that instinct to just jump at opportunities and, and let's let's take challenges head on?
2: I think so. Uh, one thing I've never been good at is saying no. Even if somebody mentions a gig or a recession or something, and and I know maybe it's not up you know up my alley or, or I'm not the guy for. The, I just go yeah, yes. What time? Sure. Where do I where do I go? You know, and like and that that's can be a drag sometimes it doesn't work out but usually it just like I said it just makes you better you have to practice and and get your you know get everything together and I mean we've all been there you 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 go like you're kind of questioning am I the right guy for this gig but you just go yeah what I'm there what time what what's the day what time what do I need to bring and you show up and um I mean if I told you the, (laughs) the the list of gigs that I've auditioned for and didn't get it's it's comical. I mean, I'll just say Sting, Nora Jones, Guns N Roses, uh who I mean, the household name are like superstar artists that called me to audition to co- hey, I've heard you play, you know, and and I show up and I practice and go into the woodshed for 2 weeks and just go for it and I don't get the gig, you know. Um but whatever. So so I practiced really hard for two weeks. Good. But you still you know?
0: grew from the experience. Pardon me. You still grew oh, from the experience. Totally. Too. Totally. Yeah. yeah. And that thing of saying yes, uh, I think that's such a cool approach. I've done that in the past, where you just say yes and figure it out later. Even yeah. if you're saying yes to something that you know yeah. in the moment you're not prepared to do, but you're saying yes anyway, knowing that you're going to figure it out in time. Yeah, I think that's great. That's such it's, a great way to grow so fast. I,
2: personally, I'm, I'm not the kind of person that's going to just. Go home today and practice my guitar for no reason. You know, I mean, I might, I might mess around and write some riffs. I mean, that's what I love to do is just turn on the recording and and lay down some ideas that I have. But I need motivation to like really dive in and practice, and you know what I mean. And uh so, yeah, if like Sting's flying me to New York next week, guess what? I'm going to be practicing hard for a week. <laughs> you yeah. know, like try to be prepared one of my, a good friend of mine got that gig over me but sting personally because he had heard me seen me play and whatever and so he asked there's this drummer josh freeze you probably yeah, know Yeah, of course yeah josh called me one day and said hey sting wants you to come and audition for the band." stings had that guy is it dominic miller yeah, i think dominic is his miller. name yep. forever but he had another guitar player and he wanted to replace that guy so i'm just like great let's do it and uh you know so yeah it's 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 always disappointing if things don't work out or this you don't get the gig or whatever, but there's nothing wrong with spending a few weeks in the woodshed practicing, you know, mm-hmm. just going for it,
1: you know. So for young musicians listening, I think this is really important for them to hear that, I mean, a player that, that has success on your level still goes through the, the ups and downs of the audition process oh, yeah. for getting gigs. W- what is your method to to overcoming not getting the gig?
2: Hmm. That's a really good question. Um, it's massively disappointing. Like when, you know, um, you, you it, and some, I've auditioned for gigs that I actually didn't want, but I'm just like, well, it's a gig, so I should go check it out. And I'm, I almost think like, I won't name the names, but it's like what I, like I'm driving, pulling into the parking lot and going, is it going to be better if I get this gig or if I don't get this gig? Cause I don't like this music. This is not my thing. <laughs> Sting or something like that or Guns and Roses was different. I was hell-bent on on really going for it. Some of the other ones when I got the call that I didn't get the gig, I was like almost relieved, like good because I don't want to go around the world playing that music, you know. Mm-hmm. But but you know, you just it's a challenge so you do it. Um to be totally honest, I'm 52 years old right now and and the older I get, I can't stand auditions because you always feel like there's some 20-year-old kid coming in after you. And they're going to hire that guy just because he's a 20-year-old kid. And I used to be the 20-year-old kid. And now I'm 52. So auditioning, I have friends that play in Elton John's band. I have friends that play in Rod Stewart's band. Those are the, those kind of legacy artists that are older. That would be something I'd feel more comfortable with. You know what I mean? If I'm going to go, I'm not going to go audition for Nicki Minaj or something, you know, someone that's like, it's a, that's a kid's game. I'm not a kid anymore. So overcoming not getting the gig, sometimes it's tough and sometimes it's a relief. Like I said, you're just like, well, I wasn't meant for that gig. That gig wasn't meant for me. Good. Let's put it behind us, you know?
0: And if you're not getting a gig because you're too old, you can't feel too bad about that. Exactly. I mean, there's what nothing... What can you do about it? Yeah. Like, you know, It's not like you didn't practice enough
1: or right. something. Yeah. So exactly. it's it's taking time to reflect on the situation and going, okay, I gave everything I had and just, it wasn't me. Yeah. You know, Big time, for yeah. sure. Yeah. And yeah. F- And do you, do you intentionally try and extract the value that you got out of the situation?
2: Oh, yeah. Like, I was... Okay, I was working on a record with a producer friend of mine. He's a guy named Mark Endert, and he produced... I, I played on this Gavin DeGraw record, that, his first album... And it had a couple hits on it. And it's the only major label record where I play every note of the guitar. Like even in School of Fish, Josh played guitar. John Hyatt played guitar. There were... Jacob Dylan played guitar in The Wallflowers. Like, but the one major label record that was kind of a hit that I play every note of the guitar is this... On this... It's called Chariot by uh, Gavin DeGraw. And um, as we were working on that record... I got the call about this Nora Jones thing and um, because if there's, a, there's a guitar player friend of mine named Adam Levy, and he was the other guitar player, but they wanted to bring in another guitar player. And so Adam was like, hey, would you want to audition for the Nora Jones thing? And I'm like, yeah, of course. So there were a couple tunes that were... This was on her second album, not the big... Um, I can't remember the name of her first, the big breakout mm-hmm. album, but it was the follow-up record. And like she had a, a duet with Dolly Parton and there was like a bluegrass kind of tune that was, and and Adam said to me, you're going to take the solo and you just need to burn. You just need to like bluegrass, all these fast 16th note chromatic runs and stuff. And I was practicing my butt off and my producer friend, I know this is a long story. My producer friend, Mark, after a couple weeks, he was like, y- I hear you practicing when we're not, pushing the record button like on these breaks and I hear, and he's like you're getting better you're like really sounding good and I was like well thank you like you know he could tell just like you know listening to me in another room like on breaks on coffee breaks like just shredding my, tr- to the best I could do and so there's always something to take away from it I mean what is wrong with spending time with your instrument that's like that's the deal my mom said to me when I was a little kid no matter what happens, you're always going to have your guitar. And for you to sit and play for yourself and by yourself, that's... My mom's not a musician, but she's like, you're always going to have that. And no one can ever take that from you. And and I always remember her saying that.
1: I, I say that all the time, about, but yeah. like, I've never... I, I can't really have a fully bad day because I can always just yeah. go behind the guitar neck yeah. and escape. Absolutely. You know, it's really, and that works for for any musical instrument, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's the real value, I think, you know, at the end of each of our time that you reflect back on it and go, yeah, you know, like like we always have this little escape outlet and that's the true power of playing a musical instrument, you know, like getting to make a living from and everything and touring the world. That's great. You know, super (laughs) awesome. But it's just that, that inner peace that you can find at any moment.
2: Well, and a great thing about guitar and Dave, I'd like to ask you about this um, is I can wake up at three in the morning, which I often do. I've just developed some crazy insomnia in the last few years And I'll just go into the living room, sit in front of my computer and play guitar quietly, like just, you know, maybe plug in or maybe not or just – but just take a – they say Wes Montgomery, who is one of my absolute favorite guitar players of all time, that the reason he played with his thumb is because he would work a full-time job, come home in the evening, have dinner with his family and his wife and kids would go to sleep and he would sit like in the bathroom – but so as to not bother his family and his neighbors, he would play with his thumb because it was quieter. And that's I mean, if mm. you've ever seen videos of Wes playing with his thumb, you, you can't believe everything he's doing, alternate up and down thumb, you know, yeah, octaves awesome. all mm-hmm. with his thumb. And um, that's a great thing about guitar. You can do it in a hotel room or in your living room and really not bother anybody. If you know, just play now, as a drummer, mm-hmm. do you find it a hindrance? Like you can't get up and start whacking your drums at like four in the morning if it I don't know where you practice or where you if you have a studio set up or something but it's a great thing about guitar Mm -hmm. it's like it can be quiet
0: yeah yeah for drums it's tougher especially traveling in hotel rooms and stuff like that that's an issue you you can never really get good four-way coordination practice on the kit when you're on tour you know everyone brings a practice pad which is like a rubber like a mesh very quiet thing and gives you rebound and You can work your hands to a certain extent, but even that, it doesn't feel like a drum. It's not going to respond like a real snare drum or anything. But uh, yeah, for my situation, I have a detached garage that we've soundproofed and stuff like that. So I can reasonably play full out, like during the day and stuff like that. But there have been times where due to my schedule or whatever, I have to be practicing at six in the morning. And for stuff like that, I have a kit that has all mesh heads, which is essentially silent. Right. And um, not... No electronics really. I do like SPDSX triggering and stuff. Yeah. But in terms of practicing, I don't have an electronic kit or anything like that. I don't really I don't really like those. Yeah. But yeah, just having mesh heads and like the rubber cymbals and that's kind of my quiet practice thing.
2: Yeah. I'm sure the electronic drums have come a long way. Uh when right before I left the Wallflowers, we were on tour with John Mellencamp and um we were prepping like doing pre-production for writing for a a record we were about to do. And so our drummer, he's a great – the tracks that I sent you, um, the drums are all this This guy, Mario Kaliri. He was the drummer in The Wallflowers. And he's been in Ozo Motley. He's one of my greatest friends, and he's an amazing drummer. And um, he would have an electronic kit in the dressing room so we could all go in there. And we had a guy come in with a Pro Tools rig so we could plug in direct or whatever, and he could have his electronic drums just so we could write and sit in a room together and, like – work on songs and I'm, I'm sure that the technology keeps getting better and better yeah, with yeah. that stuff. But um, yeah, it can't feel the same as. Yeah. You it's know.
0: usually less than gratifying.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's a good, a good transition point. Um, you talk about, you know, being on tour. it what, what is your pre-tour routine? Like getting ready to go out. Mm-hmm. Okay? Like what, what is your, your kind of mental routine? How are you gearing up? Um, you know, what are you doing musically? What are you doing mentally to, to, better yourself for that situation
2: it depends on the artist like i've played with uh there's a there's a fantastic uh female singer songwriter named shelby lynn and she's um one of the most insanely talented people i've ever i mean it's it's crazy like um and we we wouldn't rehearse at all like show up do a little bit of a sound check okay here's the songs and like an hour before the gig, you're sitting in a, like listening to, you're trying to chart stuff out or whatever you can do. Or then there's stuff like with Ben Harper, because we, we, I'm not currently playing with Ben, but we would tend to do those Bruce Springsteen two and a half, three hour shows. So there'd be like two weeks of pretty serious rehearsals because I would say at any given point, we would know 80 or 90 songs because, you know, like, and it's, and just the big, dry erase boards on the rehearsal room, checking them off, who needs to do, who has this vocal part, who has that, and like, I mean, a staggering amount of material, and when I first joined his band, I was just overwhelmed, I was like, because, plus it's reggae, it's folk, it's hard rock, it's blues, it's soul, so that made me, I hope I'm not veering off track, that gig is so versatile, the the, the materials, just the, the the wealth of material and the, the styles, I really had to practice a lot. And that was great. It made me a lot better um, playing more funk stuff or blues or folk or this or that, acoustic, electric, funky stuff on a Telecaster to slamming hard rock on a Les Paul. And uh, so it really, it depends on the art. Some, some artists just don't like to rehearse and some like to be super prepared,
1: you know, mm-hmm. so... What what about mentally though? Do do you Uh, go through any like um, pre tour mental preparation?
2: uh, Probably just along the lines of like nervous breakdowns. Yeah.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Um, No, I. You know what?
2: The, the The bike really helps, and I've always taken a bike. I'm currently not in very great shape, but I always take a bike with me on the road. I've got this travel bike. It looks like a road bike, but the frame collapses, and it's. It's called a Richie Breakaway, and it goes in a case that's very... Airlines don't know it's a bike, so you don't have to pay extra for it. It's very light. And I've ridden that thing around the world, like everywhere. And I like to be as fit physically, which helps me be fit mentally. You know what I mean? Um, To me, like I said, I'm not... Nothing to brag about my fitness right now, but when I... I used to race avidly and was kind of semi-professional and riding with lance armstrong and all this crazy stuff um but i loved having a bike on the road and just to get really fit pre-tour before you know to prepare the days would get really busy because you're going to a six-hour rehearsal and i want to squeeze in a two-hour bike ride and i want to go hang out with my kids and you know like it gets really really busy getting when you get on that tour bus or on that flight to go start a tour you're just like it's like a relief, you know, cause you've done all the mental prep, all the physical prep. I have some cramping issues with, uh, I, I, I'm diabetic. I have diabetes. So my blood sugar has to be really, really well maintained and under control. Um, I have to make sure that my fingers are really limber and I'm in good shape and the blood sugar is under control and the mental prep and the physical prep. So I just think, uh, I, I hope I'm not rambling uh, no, you're good. I actually didn't drink that much coffee this morning so <laughs> um, you know it's just all that stuff goes into it for me like mm-hmm. I need to feel strong and fit and then that really feeds into the mental stuff and mm-hmm. it just makes you more alert and more aware that the more physically fit you are and the endorphins go and people tell me that I've played some of the best gigs of my life after a hundred mile bike ride and I'm just shattered I walk on stage and I'm just limping but they're like, wow! You always play better when you're just destroyed from a bike ride. And I'm like, I don't know what that's about. But
1: it- I mean, that we could go down a whole rabbit hole with that yeah. because I, I've been uh, doing some long distance running uh, this mm. year, uh, training yeah. to do that, and I, I noticed a huge difference. Like after the run, even like this morning, I just I did like real I mean, nothing long this morning, just like yeah. five miles, but uh, I just feel way more alert. Even though like it, physically you're tired, like anytime I'll do like a half marathon or or like, like 15, 16, 17 yeah. miles, even though physically I'm exhausted, mentally I'm wide awake.
2: I didn't know you were a runner. That's amazing. No, there, oh, there's, I'm not a runner. Look, <laughs> I'm just running. <laughs> well, you're running five miles. You're a runner. I can't run five miles. Um, I think it's it's undeniable. Like we always say on the bike, because I've just got this whole huge network of cycling friends. It's like... If you didn't get hit by a car and you didn't crash, it was a good bike ride. Like, in, it, you never feel worse. I have crashed and been hit by cars many times and ended up in hospital and all that bad stuff. But any time I climb off the bike, it, whether it's a 20-minute ride or three hours, I I just – like, I, I, I can feel it. I'm amazed at how much better I feel mentally, mm-hmm. you know? Totally understand that. You know what I mean? You just yeah. go – wow, like, why didn't I do this yesterday or why? Because there'll be weeks that go by when I don't ride the bike Mm -hmm. and I start to feel depressed and not feel good. And then I go, what? Oh, like I did, I haven't been riding my bike. And it's Mm -hmm. funny that after 25 years of riding a bike that I still can forget how good it makes
0: you feel, you know? Especially I find if it's first thing in the morning, Absolutely. Then you feel like whatever else happens in your day, at least you've yep. already done it. yeah, man. Yeah. yeah, that's what I I love I do. that.
1: Yeah,
2: yeah, I think the longer you put off a workout later in the day, the less chance there is that you're actually going to do it. Totally, Definitely. totally Yeah. yeah. Lance Armstrong once told me, he's like, look, man, we got to go now. Because he, he would come out on tour with the Wallflowers a little bit and hang out. He'd go, we're well, riding now. The longer we put this off, I'm just, I'm not even going to ride. And I was like, let's go, let's go. Let's. And he taught <laughs> me that, like, get it. Yep. It's not like get it over with. It's just like it's a great way to start the day, yep. like you
0: said. Yep. You know? Okay, so I have and to. Sometimes ask, it's a hard re- thing re- to yeah. start, but you never regret totally. having done it once you done. Totally
1: yeah. right. Um, what was like a huge takeaway you got from Lance Armstrong? <laughs> well,
2: he's been a good friend of mine over the years, and I, I it's total name drop stuff. But he, um, the Wallflowers, once started a tour in Austin, Texas, and um, I knew the guys. Lance was riding this brand of bikes for his team called Eddie Merckx. and I knew the guys that distributed those bikes in Charlotte, North Carolina. And and this friend of mine, who's a musician and a cyclist, he's like, "You're starting your tour in Austin. Why don't you call Lance?" And I was like, "I was like, he doesn't want to come and see my crappy band. Um, can we can we curse? Is we keep this clean? I don't. I don't Please,
1: it's all good. Do whatever you want. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and my, my buddy was ribbing me like." Come on, you fuck, you pussy! Call fucking call Lance Armstrong, man. And I was like, all right. So I called my dudes and I was like, hey. And Lance had just gotten; he was going through chemo and getting over the cancer stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I just called my guys and said, hey, uh, just send an invite to Lance Armstrong if he wants to come down to the gig in Austin. We're st-. and we, oddly, we were starting a tour opening for Cheryl Crow. This is before Lance and Cheryl started dating, but they met that night. And the day of. The gig, at, like at Soundcheck, some woman from the, it's called the Austin Music Hall. She came and she's like, are you Michael? And I said, yeah. And she handed me, she's like, uh, you have a message. And it said, call Lance Armstrong. I had his phone number. And so he came to the gig, hung out. And then he was like, I want to come on tour with you guys. And I was like, come on. And so he spent a week. He brought his bike and we would just ride every day for a week. And he would, he was still getting over the... It was awesome because i could kick his butt on the bike because he was cancer boy he he was coming over his getting over his chemo and all this and um and we just became really friendly and he's he's a huge music fan and uh the takeaway from him i learned a lot man um i also saw the bad stuff that he went through and you know which was you know a lot let's say you know self-inflicted but um there you go, live and learn. He's always been cool to me and my friends. And uh, just, I don't know, just an honor to ride. With. I mean, look, the doping, the whatever, all those guys were doing and he was doing, he was still the greatest cyclist in the world for years and years and years, you know. you, you it, So it was just an honor and really cool to... to and he's a funny guy. He's fun to hang around with, so.
1: But was there any, like, wisdom or anything? Like, I mean, when you're a monster at, at anything, you know what I mean, a champion on that kind of level... Um, performance enhancing drugs or not I mean there, oh, there's something I, mentally you know oh what yeah. I mean like that oh yeah you know so what was it was there one takeaway you got from that that maybe our listeners would, would learn from
2: he okay he's a funny guy he's gonna be like cracking jokes on a bike ride and all this but the focus and the dedication again just like for music um just laser pinpoint focus dedication um this is a guy who, leading up to the Tour de France, he had a digital scale, and they would weigh every morsel of food that he put in his mouth so he could calculate how many carbs and how many calories it was. And then he's got a power meter on the back wheel of his bike so he can—he knows exactly how many calories he burned on a bike ride, how many calories he can eat for dinner after the ride, and make sure that he's constantly losing weight. Like, I mean, in, really, digitally weighing every cracker that you're going to eat or whatever. Um, and I've trained with him when he was getting ready for the Tour de France, which was brutal because I, I'm just, we, he always had a driver and and we would call it the strategy meeting. We'd get on a big mountain climb and uh, I would drop back to the driver, Dave, and go strategy meeting. And what you do is you just hang on to the car so that you can keep up with him. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. like, it was ridiculous, like trying to, Trying to hang with him. Some um,
1: metrics and laser focus. Yeah, man, totally.
2: But again, just like a a dedicated musician, you know, you want to sit there and, okay, you know, you can be Sid Vicious and be, you know, there's all kinds of different musicians and not everybody needs to be Robert Fripp or some, you know, technical guy, but it all takes, I won't say Sid Vicious had dedication, but, you know, to be a good musician, Mm -hmm. you got to do it. It, You got to put in the hours and... It's a solitary thing, man, and mm-hmm. I, I've done... I did rides with Lance and a couple of his teammates and, like, five- or six-hour rides, like, brutally hard, and, like, 90 minutes would go by where nobody says a word. You're just, like, head down, hammering, and it's it's painful and brutal, um, but it's the same thing, I think, you know, everyone talk. You know, remember when you first started playing guitar and everybody talks about how it hurts my fingers, yeah, you know, yeah. before you get calluses yeah. and stuff? It's like that. There's pain and and, and solitude and, and focus involved in, 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 you know, that's what it takes.
1: So Dave, I think this thing is a good point for for us to say that anybody that's been busting our balls about keeping practice logs, yeah. uh, which I've been getting a lot of blowback from. <laughs> I really? heard okay. the, one of those episodes. Uh, yeah. yeah. Lance Armstrong is doing it. All right. So F off.
0: Who would give you <laughs> blowback about that? <laughs> that guy should become an accountant or something. <laughs> yeah. oh, my.
1: Okay. So uh, let's position back here. Um, more of a more of a broad question here mm-hmm. what uh what defines a professional musician
2: ooh well okay man i've been through so many ups and downs in my career and right now i'll just be honest work is pretty slow so to me being a professional musician is somebody pays me <laughs> you know that's i mean that's really the definition but i think i have so many friends that that are so multifaceted i've got a buddy who plays bass and he's a great bass player his kid is now a great bass player i got him a bike he was in a band with me he now he's a not only is he a great cyclist he works for a big bike company and he does all their graphic designs i've written a couple children's books called mike and the bike and he did all the illustrations Mm -hmm. so this dude is super talented and he's he's one of my sarcastic funny friends but i mean he's a Musician, cyclist, works for a bike company Amazing artist, graphic artist, designer All And, like, I can play guitar Like, I'm always blown away by people That can do so many things I don't know about you guys, but I I can only do one thing I can record and produce a little bit And I can sing, but I'm not a good singer Um, I always feel like I wish I had that, that classic something to fall back on, you know? And... I don't. Like, I'm a musician. That's it. So when times are great, I'm on top of the world. When the gigs are thin, I'm like, I better go down to Trader Joe's and hand in an application. Or I mean, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. That's. But it's like, I don't, you're asking what is a professional musician? For me, unfortunately, it's the only thing I can do. I really wish I had more things in my wheelhouse or whatever you want to call it that I could go oh well since I don't have any gigs this month I'm gonna go to my uh, fire department gig or whatever you know this and, and I just I play guitar that's it but, I,
0: well so I hear <laughs> what you're saying my counter to that though is because I identify a lot with with how you are right if you had your other thing to go fall back on you would end up doing that all the time you're right you that's would end true. up doing it and the fact that you don't have something to fall back on is what gives you the drive that you have to the success that you have. This is
2: true. You're totally right. Yeah. I think, um, I just, yeah, I see it from both sides. I do. I know because I go like, well, since it's the only thing I can do, I better do it. I got to make something happen, you know?
0: Well, and I've been talking to people lately too, uh, like Nick Petrillo is one of them, you know, about just, um, first how in my situation I can diversify and get like some passive income coming in and like, I'm working on a, a drum website project with a couple other people and yeah because i primarily consider myself exactly like you mm-hmm. i play and eventually you hit a ceiling of i can only be in one place at one time so how am i ever going to make more money than i am <clears throat> i want ways to like make money that don't involve leaving the house and playing the drums right. after a certain point yeah so things like um i'm trying to get more products under my belt that I can sell on my website, some sample libraries, this uh, online drum lesson thing that I'm working on. Just looking for ways to like spread out uh, and not have to be gone all the time and not have to be playing just to make money. Sure. That's a tough thing.
1: So a lot of the people that that, uh, we share this knowledge with are people that are in music college. Mm -hmm. Looking back now, when you first moved out uh, to to come out here and Mm -hmm. and begin the journey. What's something that you now know that you wish you would have known?
2: Wow. That's a good one. Um, when I came out here, the, the, the course at GIT was just a one year thing, right? They didn't, now they have all these other extended, you can, you know, I think they're trying to be more like Berkeley where it's a little more serious and you can go for several years, but I did one year and, um, (sighs) that question I'm I'm trying to focus on the question you asked because I'm my mind's going crazy um I don't know what I know now that I wish I had known that I guess you know what one thing that I when I started to join bands or okay I had my own band and then my first gig as a session guy was with John Hyatt and um that was super fun he paid me really well nice tour bus nice hotel room And the record we recorded was successful for him. Um, It's this album called Perfectly Good Guitar. And uh, it's a really cool title song and it's a good record. And uh, I, I got the gig simply because my friend Matt Wallace, who's a great producer, he did all the Faith No More stuff and replacements and all kinds of things. Still one of my... I just saw him last week. He's one of my best friends. He just... We were on a hike and he said... I'm going to try to answer your question. I promise. We were on a hike and he said, he had just finished producing the second School of Fish album. And he said, uh, hey, I might be working with this guy, John Hyatt. And um, would you want to play guitar on the album? And I literally stopped him in our tracks and said, I will do it for free. Because I loved (laughs) this one John Hyatt record called Bring the Family. Bring the Family. Dude, Keltner. Keltner. Yeah, man. Great We worshiped that album, me and Josh from School of Fish. And I literally was like, I'll do it for free. Yep. And he goes, well, we're going to go in and do a few, like four songs, not demos, but a trial run and see how it goes. And so if you want to be the lead guitar player, I'm going to get the the rhythm section together. And I was just like, I'm like, I don't know, 24 years old. And I'm just like, Rye Cooter. And now I'm going to play with John High. It's just like, but again, I was just like, I'm in. Like, Like I didn't, you know, I was scared. It scared the crap out of me, but. My, this is my point. You ask me, what do I know now that I wish I had known then? And what I wish—I kind of wish I, I would have been a little more easygoing, hang out with the band. To, because the bike thing was always like that was my way to isolate. My, I would just disappear for twelve hours, and everybody would be like, "Well, we're going to dinner." Well, not me. I'm going on a bike ride, and that starts to catch up with you a little bit. People start to go like, "Well, he's the dude who's never here." Like I, I kind of wish mm. I it's not like I wasn't friendly or didn't enjoy the people that I was around but man I was like my guitar tech in the wallflowers made me guitar picks that said lone wolf because mm. I was just I was the lone wolf and like okay you think that's cool wow well, I'm the lone wolf how cool but it's it it tends to you distance yourself from people yeah, and I think absolutely. I did that a lot I yeah. think I did that and I wish I would have just maybe been a little more I was so obsessed with cycling that it was a, either the gig or rehearsal or sound check or I'm on the bike, I'm gone. Hmm. And I I think it would have been a little bit better if, had I just taken a breath and hung out with people and been a little more sociable, do sure. you know what I mean? Sure,
1: some nurturing relationships yeah. to, to yeah. establish better relationships yeah, for the future. Yeah, definitely. Okay, cool. So a couple more f- uh, questions here as we, we come towards the close. Yeah. Um, I have had the good pleasure of uh, seeing you play guitar up close and personal uh, several times and uh, it's very rare that I get to to jam with a with a guitarist that has the feel that you do. Oh, it's, well, thank you. I mean, absolutely you. incredible. Thank you. So, uh, a couple of times we in the, on the show we've been talking about playing behind the beat, right? And and studying. Yeah. How do you you know how do you do that? What's what's your methodology for that? So, I'd like to know your approach to uh, to the the kind of the groove you bring to your guitar.
2: Ah, uh, that's a great question. And I did hear one of the episodes when you were talking about that behind the beat thing. Um. It's such a mysterious art form, I think. Um, n- now, my background: when we formed School of Fish, Josh and I would just go and play with a drum machine and programmed bass on a on a keyboard. So, first of all, my time got really good because I was always playing to a drum machine, basically like a click track all the time. Mm-hmm. So, and my my good friend Paul Hansen, the teacher at at the school, he. Set, he imparted a lot of wisdom on me And he would he would beat me up He was not afraid to say You're not good enough You need to practice more and, and I You know As a teacher I can never say that to a student But he would say that to me And he would say two things In tune And in time You know That's Those are the bare minimum If, if your guitar's out of tune I'm not listening to you And if you're If you can't play in time Leave You know So once I kind of got better at like really locking into playing in time then i think you can push pull back behind the beat get on top of the beat for a little more energy um and a lot of it to me depends on on the the drummers that you play with like i've gotten to do a session with keltner i've played with josh freeze a lot i joey warniker like all these um and they all have very different feels and it's i love playing with a drummer And trying to feed off of them. And like, if they play a little bit loosey and goosey behind the beat, then you can kind of lay back and do that. Um, Mm -hmm. It's like, there's this band, Led Zeppelin. You guys know this, right? (laughs) But like, when you listen to Bonham and now there's these isolated Bonham drum tracks that you can get on YouTube and stuff. It's incredible. And you... I've gotten to play with John Paul Jones. Okay, th- listen how stupid this is. I played bass for John Paul Jones once, <laughs> okay, at
1: Bonnaroo, that festival. But th- this is on on my list of questions to okay. ask. We, we can't let you <laughs> out of here because you're talking to two Led Zeppelin, like, hyper freaks. So we, you got to tell the story. It's the first time I heard the story. I was just like, oh my god." Okay, gosh, so
2: we, we're doing this Bonnaroo festival and John Paul Jones had contacted Ben Harper because they do these midnight secret jams and... John Paul Jones said, hey, we're both playing Bonnaroo. Would you want to do the midnight jam, the, the surprise jam with me? And Ben was like, yeah. And so we got to, it's it's in Manchester, Tennessee. There's like two hotels. There's a Holiday Inn and some little motel. And most bands just sleep on their tour bus and people are intense. It's It's a funky middle of nowhere place. So I was like, Ben's going to go rehearse at the Holiday Inn banquet room with John Paul Jones. I'm going. <laughs> Like I'm just going to hang out and st- yeah. meet the dude from Led Zeppelin so I rode my bike. I'm going to be totally honest. I cuz we have these bike bottles, right? I stopped at a store on the way over there cuz it was just a day off. I got some Tennessee bourbon and a <laughs> Coke and I made a little drink <laughs> in my bike. It was stupid. So I'm sitting there literally sitting on the corner, John Paul Jones walks in, Questlove was the drummer and Ben and they're doing this thing and then Ben just, Ben says, Hey, uh, John, do do you ever play when the levee breaks? And, uh, and John Paul Jones goes, yeah, but when I play that, I like to play lap steel. Um, is there anybody that could play bass? And I faintly hear, oh, that's my guitar player, Michael over there. He can play bass. And I'm like, I'm like, sipping a, a drink right and i'm suddenly just like scared straight like he just told john paul jones i'm going to play bass for him
0: <laughs> on a led zeppelin song now if you ever
1: really
2: listen to jo- i started texting my bass player friends like holy crap and the thing about john paul jones he it never plays the same thing twice it's so loose and yeah. fluid yep. and and i had a conversation with him later and we were sitting in catering after the gig the next day. And he said, is the same thing about the beat, behind the beat. He's, he said, everything's on a click now and on a grid and everything's just tempo mapped. And he's like, time is supposed to be fluid. You're supposed to be able to speed up and slow down a little bit. And just for the feel and the emotion of the song, he's like, everything now is on a grid. And he's like, it, it drives me crazy. And I, And I thought, wow, what a great little... Pearl yeah. of wisdom from, you know, that dude was like, time is supposed to be fluid. Not that you should be, we call it <laughs> the Russian dragon, yes. the, you know, yep. right? Yep. Okay. Yep. For
0: drummers, speeding <laughs> yep. up and slowing down. but yep.
2: So not like that, but you should be able to move with the song. Mm. And,
0: well, but Led the fact, Zeppelin did that better than anybody. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, they yeah. feed off each other. Yeah. So you're
2: saying about this behind the beat stuff and everything, listen to Bonham, like how, if you're a decent musician on any level, if you're going to, I never got to meet John Bonham. If you're going to play with him, how can you? I mean, he's just so great that you you gotta have that push and pull, that Mm -hmm. feel, that that vibe. Am I answering your question? No, he's great. Rambling, (laughs) just like
1: dang, yeah, Yeah. John Paul Jones, do it, (laughs) yeah, man. Okay, so um, as we get uh, to the to the final part here, uh, we usually like to ask if you have any advice uh, that you want to share with our listeners. Mm specifically young musicians coming up
2: yeah um young musicians that are, are are getting their chops together and getting their skills you know um you know it's it's work it's hard work now the great thing is it's that old cliche uh choose something you love to f- and, and you'll never work a day in your life right because because mm-hmm. you're doing what you love so it is hard work but I love music so much, and it, man, like I said, it can be, there's ups and downs, man. It's not an easy road. Um, Whether you want to be a professional or not, practice your butt off. There's never a wasted moment when you have the, I know guys that used to, um, they would put a a metronome that had a light on it, and they'd put it behind them, and then with the TV on, they could see the blinking light reflected in the TV screen, and they would practice so they could watch TV and practice at the same time. (laughs) I think that's cool. Like... There's never a wasted moment when you're sitting mm. with your instrument it, it just doesn't it's it's like we said about a run or a bike ride it's it's as long as you don't get hit by a car it, it so that when I went to to the music school I practiced like crazy my roommates would go to sleep and I would go into the bathroom set the metronome on the I would sit on the toilet seat and with, with the lid down I wasn't dead my pants. put put the metronome and just practice till I, till I couldn't till I was falling asleep, till I couldn't keep my eyes open. If you if you can do that, put in the hours, put in the time. And like I said, the thing that I kind of had to learn a little more was appreciate every gig, appreciate every musical relationship. Okay, yeah, you might play with an asshole and you don't want to play with that guy anymore. But generally, really it's a social thing, man. It's music. I mean, there's a lot of electronic guys and DJs that are doing it all by themselves. But generally People skills are very important, I mm-hmm. think, you know, mm-hmm. so putting in the time yourself to be, get the skills together, but taking the time to really listen to other players and really appreciate just being in a room and jamming with people is like, I'm not a big jam guy. I don't, you know, like a four hour sound check where everybody just wants to play a funk riff for an hour. That's never my, but again, that's something I had to learn. Like, just do it. Don't be the guy that says, oh, okay, I'm done with sound check now, like hang out and jam and have fun. Um, the people skills, man. Just appreciating the musicians around you, really listening to the musicians around you, I think
1: is really key. All mm-hmm. good words, All right. for sure. So where can people find you? If They want to uh, hear more, see more. I know we're going to play some tracks. Um, that yeah, we've sent I hope over. we can
2: sneak in uh, some tracks here yep, and there. Yeah, we're going to put them um,
1: on th- at the end of the show, for sure.
2: I have a... Well... I'm on Facebook, Michael Ward, you'll see whatever I think my current pay, I have a big goofy mustache, but you can find me on Facebook and I put a lot of music tracks up there and links, but, um, on SoundCloud, I don't know why, but I'm Michael Ward for the number four uh, on SoundCloud. And I've got a ton of, lo- a lot of the tracks I sent you and mm-hmm. instrumental things. Mm-hmm. I don't currently, my website is down. I don't, a guy in England, a friend of mine runs it and we've just kind of let it go by the wayside. But, um, SoundCloud Michael Ward 4 uh, there's a lot of Michael Wards in the world um, that's got a ton of, of music stuff on there mm-hmm. including the the children's music that I do for the books with my kids singing and all this And uh, so yeah that's the easiest any right
1: Instagram uh, you on the, yeah I'm on
2: Instagram okay. Michael Ward uh, and yeah th- that as well so Facebook, Instagram the SoundCloud and uh, we'll get the website back up and running Kaelin,
1: <laughs> Dave any uh, final thoughts here on this?
0: Oh, that's been great man
1: yeah oh, it's really Thank been for a everything. treat talking to you I oh, think, man, like, so lots fun. of great wisdom and some amazing stories my pleasure my so pleasure. Uh, we're gonna leave you guys with that and then we're gonna have uh, some of Michael's tracks coming up here in a second but uh, keep listening and we'll catch you soon thanks guys thanks man
0: to musician mindset with dave johnstone and jason land you can contact the show through facebook and instagram at musician mindset podcast if you like what you heard please leave us a five-star rating on itunes